Welcome to Humanly Possible, a vlog and podcast series focused on the game-changing potential of creating human-centric workplaces. Today's conversation is with Donald Bowman, CEO and founder at DBC, a service culture and hospitality consulting firm that specializes in cultures that support service excellence. Donald's experience has positioned him well to build pressure-tested workplace cultures that create comebacks versus setbacks for organizations and their workers during crisis. We discussed the importance of resetting after a crisis like COVID-19 and how to envision or re-envision important elements of a comeback culture. Thank you for joining. I'm so appreciative that you um, are, have come to join and share your insights with us. Oh, I'm so excited to join you. I love talking with you anyway, Angela. Now we get to do it recorded. I know, I know. And I always tell people, every, every time I have people on the, the podcast, I usually say, the reason why we're doing this is because we've had so many great conversations that should have been recorded. So now we actually get this opportunity. Um, so Donald, I know you and I met actually through a mutual colleague and friend, uh, Amy, which I hope we will have on at a later date. But um, the reason why we got connected is because you and Amy are working on some fantastic work uh, for businesses called Rethink and Reset. And I know there's, a, uh, really this is, I mean, this was really about post-COVID. Was that what this was born out of or was this a program that you all thought of before COVID? <laughs> Great question. And yeah, that is exactly how we were connected originally through Amy. Amy McKee, a fabulous young lady also based here in Las Vegas where I am. Uh, and that's exactly the phrase that I used for Rethink and Reset. It was born out of COVID. Uh, as Amy and I were uh, connecting on a couple of other things, we kept sort of saying to us, how can we help businesses during this crazy time? Mm. Uh, I've been in the luxury hotel business my entire career. And uh, 18 months, almost two years ago, I decided to, to leave and start my own consulting business. Uh, but I almost felt guilty not being in a business and being able to help people during COVID. And I was like, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And so Amy and I were talking about this and uh, we started the Rethink and Reset series. Uh, so initially uh, as a, a series of podcasts or live streams, posing questions that leaders should be asking themselves during COVID uh, to survive, uh, to come out um, uh, stronger than uh, it hit them. Or as we like to say, to make their comeback better than their, their setbacks from COVID. Um, and so from all of that, we put together a day-long strategic session that uh, we could run with companies that were really struggling or just couldn't see the wood for the trees and the panic of what was happening in the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and that was fantastic. Uh, but of course, it was much harder to do in person, uh, although it works very well virtually. But we also thought, well, of course, people have limited budgets during these times and they have limited time. And so we started saying, how else can we format this uh, in a way that's uh, more accessible for more people so we can help more people? And that's when we came up with the invention to do our Rethink and Reset leadership boxes. Uh, and those boxes are um, essentially 90 minute leadership training sessions in a box. Hmm. It's a bit like uh, if, you're, if you ever look on Amazon, Amazon, all the rage these days, subscription boxes. Uh, and you get this box in the mail with a different pair of socks every month or whatever you've chosen. 
-hmm. Well, with our leadership boxes for five months, you get a different box in the mail uh, that tackles uh, one of the five key leadership traits that we think are most vital during COVID, ranging from creativity and innovation to positivity to vision and communication and, and others. And uh, we tailored these boxes to make them multi-use, by which I mean um, a leader could order the box, comes in the mail, you open the lid, and you have everything in there you need as a leader to run a 90-minute uh, informative training session that your leaders will learn from, learn skills from, uh, that will also serve as a team-building exercise. Uh, so that's use case one. Use case two, you might not want to run a 90-minute session with your people, but you can take each of those activities that are in the box and use them as a 10-minute activity in a weekly meeting. And the third use case is that it's designed to work whether you're in person around your meeting table or virtual like we are today, Angela. Uh, the beauty of it is, uh, and we had so much fun designing it, uh, but you open the box and you've got your leader kit with your guidebook and video telling you everything you need to do and what order to do things in and a USB stick with the presentation on there if you're doing the whole thing, um, all the exercises. And then there's 10 little boxes, participant kits. Now, if you're at a random meeting table, you place them beautifully in front of everyone before they arrive and it's like this little <laughs> gift waiting for them. But if you're going to be virtual, and this is the piece that I really love about it, you can send it to them in the mail. You slap on a mailing label, you send it to their home, and it says, do not open until your birthday. No, do not open until the day of our training session. And then everyone opens them and reveals the contents together. And what I love about this, it's something that we've got to get better at in a virtual world, is how you make these two-dimensional conversations more three-dimensional. And this really helps do that. And it's got keys and fun things in there that form part of the activities, um, instructions and forms and placemats and all sorts of things. Everything that you need to participate, but everything that the leader needs to, to run uh, that meaningful uh, training session that, that really teaches skills in creativity and innovation or having a vision and communicating it and so forth. All valuable leadership skills. Yeah, so it sounds like you're really kind of curating uh, an experience, which is interesting because I know you have a very uh, unique background. I mean, you have all this knowledge with, uh, around leadership and organizational development, but tell us a little bit about your background because I think it, it speaks to probably where this idea you know, got formulated from. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I've, I've, as I might have mentioned, I think a minute ago, I've worked in luxury hotels my entire career, um, or certainly in hospitality. I started in a little tea shop in Edinburgh in Scotland, age 14. Wow. I, mean, I think it was legal to work at that age then. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and I just, I loved um, uh, working in that environment. And I learned two lessons just from that tea shop at a very early age. The first was I got to know my regulars, the locals, because they were our bread and butter in the winter when it's miserable in Scotland uh, and no tourists come. Uh, and I loved getting to know what they liked to order, how they liked it, 
Some people like to really hot rock bun. Some like their coffee to be burning hot. Others just always wanted the scones that were right out of the oven or whatever it might be. And have it on the table before they sit down as soon as I saw them walk past the window. So that, for in the luxury hotel world, translated into being attentive, uh, learning people's preferences, and just wanting to make them happy. Secondly, though, then in the summer, hordes of tourists would come, uh, all wearing tartan trousers because they all decided they had Scottish heritage, and um, they would come in. And now I got a chance to become part of their vacation experience. Mm. And I've worked in resorts in my career, island resorts. Uh, I've worked in city center hotels, business hotels, leisure hotels, everywhere from Bermuda to Hawaii, uh, Chicago to Las Vegas, and San Francisco to London. Um, all very different, but really I drew on those two very early lessons. And um, I'm very lucky to have spent most of my career with a company called Mandarin Oriental Hotel Group, mm. at some of the finest luxury hotels in the world. Uh, and uh, couldn't be more proud and, and happy with my, my time and career with them. I've, they've afforded me opportunities to move around the world, uh, meet amazing people, and have great uh, leadership learning experiences along the way. Yeah. Um, and that really led me to start my own business uh, eventually um, uh, in partnership with Rethink and Reset. DBC, it's a service culture consulting business. DBC, marketing brilliance at work. Donald Bowman Consulting. <laughs> Don't know how I came up with it. I must have used my innovation so and creativity <laughs> box. Um, uh, but now I, I take all those things that I, I can't even say I learned. It was almost like they were second nature in the world of luxury hotel leadership in how to build a culture where people thrive and uh, because they love what they're doing so much, it elevates your service levels um, beyond world-class levels of experience. And that's what set our hotels apart. And that's wonderful. And I think there's such a crossover and a parallel with this idea of personalization when yeah. it comes to leadership and leading a team, leading a business, and so how has that, do you think that's changed over the course of this very interesting year through crisis? Is, is this something that is here to stay, do you think, with leadership or this personalization, this empathy uh, concept? How do you think it's going to change for the future of work moving forward? I actually think it always has been there and at least it always should have been there. Mm -hmm. Uh, in an environment with strong leaders uh, and, a, and a strong culture. And this uh, empathetic leadership, um, I think, is at the core of a, a successful organization. Mm. Um, I, I, if you'd ever asked me uh, to describe my leadership style, I'm not sure I could have ever told you. I wasn't very inward looking like that. Uh, but very late in my career, like the last two years of my career, I was general manager of the Mandarin Oriental here in Las Vegas. Um, I did a, uh, an off-site retreat with my executive team. I wish I'd had a leadership box at the time. Yeah. Uh, but I had this great facilitator, and after it, he said, he said, he said you're the perfect uh, example of a servant leader. Mm. And I was like, oh, great. I think that's a compliment. Um, and I, I like go that. well, I Googled it. I had to Google I didn't even know what he was talking about. 
but uh, it is, of course, that's a leader that comes with empathy, but really is focused on what they can do for their team rather than vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I think that's always been important pre-COVID, but during COVID, never more important. And I think particularly because of the volume of people that are now working like this mm -hmm. remotely. Um, that has changed the dynamic of how you put your arms around your team. Yeah. That's why we were thinking, how do you make that, that uh, training session more three-dimensional with the, with the participant box? How do, you, how do you find ways to reinvent what was happening naturally in the workplace that supported uh, this uh, very supportive workplace? So for example, um, I would practice management by walking around. I just would always walk everywhere in the hotel. Uh, I'd go to lunch, I'd walk a different, different route every time. Um, well, you can't do that now. Uh, and, or if you're in just an office building, you're not by the coffee machine just making small talk or having that informal um, uh, corridor meeting, mm. uh, as I used to call them. So how do, you, how do you reinvent that now? You've got to really try twice as hard. And so I've been encouraging leaders to actually schedule 10-minute coffee machine calls or water cooler calls where you just call your direct reports every week just for 10 minutes, no agenda, what's on your mind, uh, and just see what comes from the conversation in passing, like you were passing in the hallway or by the coffee machine. Uh, just as one, one example of that. Mm -hmm. um, but without a doubt, the other thing that you've got to double down on uh, is communicating. Mm. Uh, because you don't have the, that informal communication in passing anymore. And in the absence of that information, things go haywire. Mm. rumors start, yes. uh, untruths are told, uh, and uh, stress rises and, and worries uh, rise. Um, and so actually, I, I would say in any time of crisis, you need to double down on your um, pace of communicadence of communi communication uh, and over-communicate. Um, and, you know, I can think of times when we've been through hotel, I mean, I've had every disaster you can imagine happen in my hotels, uh, and you've had to deal with it, but I've learned to, to spend a lot of extra time communicating with the outside world, uh, as well as with your internal team. Hmm. Yeah, if there's one thing uh, that does happen every single time is with lack of communication, people create their own narrative, right? It's just human nature. We like to fill in the holes and the gaps. and so. Uh, I absolutely agree. I think communication is one of those key things and communicating in a way that works for your team. And that may, that may mean communicating with different audiences and in different ways. Um, that's the empathetic part of leadership. Yeah. Um, so what do you think, you know, we talk a lot about, you gave some great tactics, first of all. I really appreciate the 10 minute uh, water cooler or coffee chat. I think that's a fantastic tactic, but I think and I think organizations are having trouble really understanding how to create human-centric or people-first workplaces. You know, tactics like that are one of many, many things that need to be built and molded into a, a people-first culture. So what are some of the keys to this? What are some of the, the larger macro pieces that need to be in place? You talked about communication, you talked about empathetic leadership, but what else? 
gosh, I love this question or questions like this because it's something that I, I, when I was leading, when I was running a hotel, um, I, I just did what I knew to do. When I started my own business doing service culture consulting, I said, well, what are the things that we did to create these amazing cultures? And I didn't know the answer because it was just innate. But I was fortunate to have the time to be able to sit back and say, what were those things? And, mm -hmm. you know, I realized that it can't just be a poster on the wall. It can't just be your culture statement on the wall or your mission statement. It actually has to feel tangible. Mm. Uh, and... Uh, again, I mentioned Mandarin Oriental. It had a very tangible sense of culture that transcended every business. And these are hotels around the world in different cultures and different cities and the corporate offices. Mm. Uh, it was really powerful. The first thing, though, I would say is I think it starts with the hiring process. You have to handpick people uh, that are going to get on with others in your organization. In other words, they're fueled and motivated in the same way. They're the same type of people. Now, you, not saying you want um, 10 apples, you want a whole fruit basket of different skills, but in terms of style, you want people that are going to get on. You want to prevent people in your organization from panic hiring, because then you'll take any fruit or vegetable that's in the bowl uh, that may or may not fit. Um, and so that hiring process, first and foremost, I think is the, is the main key. In, in my hotels, I would interview every potential final candidate uh, that was going to join us, partly to prevent that panic hiring thing. But secondly, because I felt it was my responsibility as someone that knew everybody, not just someone in the department, would you get on with anyone else in this hotel, knowing the types of people that we had? And that was extremely powerful and successful. Then how do you onboard them? Do you onboard them with the same sort of experience your clients would have or your customers would get? Mm -hmm. Treating them the way you wish them to treat your customers. So in a luxury hotel, sorry, my examples are rather biased to luxury hotels. Uh, but in a luxury hotel, you want to give them a, a fabulous meal. Mm -hmm. uh, you want their... Um, the collateral and their learning materials to be of the same quality that uh, you would give out to someone that's looking to book a wedding with you. You want them to have that quality of experience. And then um, another pillar of success to this culture is, do you have a shared goal or, or purpose? There's a lot of talk nowadays about uh, companies needing a purpose that their 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 team will follow, mm. um, and I, I I'm not trying to be very current thinking and say we need to have a great purpose. I it's just do you have a shared goal that would be meaningful to all of you? So I call that a BHAG. You've heard probably a BHAG, big hairy audacious goals, <clears throat> and I think back to the Mandarin Oriental in Las Vegas when we were opening it. Um, we decided we want to not just be Forbes five-star rated. Mm. We wanted to be a triple five-star hotel and do it in our first year. Triple five-star, by the way, that means the hotel, the spa, and the fine dining restaurant are rated individually as five-star. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what that means, but it sounds impressive. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it is. So uh, we were hiring people that wanted to be the best in our industry. And we told them, this is our goal. If you get on board, 
this is a big commitment and you're going to have to work harder and fight more and give extra to get there. But we're all in it together. We're all doing that. And everyone was, okay, I'm in. This is my career defining opportunity. And my gosh, you got everyone pulling in the same direction and shooting for the stars, literally here in this case, um, because we had that shared goal or in this case purpose. And I say, Purpose, you might think, is much more community or, or bigger than just your business. But I think the two work in the same way. And, uh, you know, in that particular example, it really pushed our team. And we opened one of the finest hotels in the world. Mm. And guess what happened in our first year, Angela? Triple stars. <laughs> no, we didn't get no. it. No. No. What happened? The spa got it. Kudos to them. Amazing team. But we just missed it in the other in the in the hotel and the in the restaurant. But let me tell you what happened. Mm. Everyone tried harder. Yeah. They were still committed to that goal. And the ratings come out once a year. And sure enough, the second year we got it. And that created an even stronger sense mm. of purpose for the team. We'd rallied behind this goal. We were so proud of it. Um, but now we were motivated to never let our team down because we now you've got it you can't lose it and for seven success, successive years uh, we maintained that rating but that that rating made us one of only 11 hotels in the world to have achieved that and that then drove the next pillar to this that i think is essential is are your team proud of where they work mm. so it relates to the goal or purpose but it also relates to what you do to build the brand, uh, what you do to promote your business. Mm. Uh, do you win awards? Do you celebrate them with your team? Uh, did you achieve your BHAG? Did you have the biggest party on earth when that happened? Um, do you recognize people when they deliver something that supports that goal? Are you the best at what you do? And if you're fighting for that, then absolutely that is going to support um, world-class and a, a world-class culture and the last piece of it is as hard as you or as finickety you are about that hiring process and bringing people into the organization that will fit those that are non-conforming which is a very polite British way of saying they don't fit uh, or they're not performing to standards or they they don't care about the goal or the people they work with then you need consequences for them, which can be finding the right home in the organization or managing them out, finding a, a better home for them. Um, and that is more powerful for the other 99% when you do that than it, difficult it is to do for that 1%. Uh, but it supports that culture and proves that you stand behind it. Sure. Uh, and all of that creates not only a human-centric company, so I think I am still answering your question <laughs> 10 minutes later. <laughs> you're not just a human centric company, but you're a company now that has a world-class culture. And I can tell you from all the work that I do and my 30 years in hotels, you will now deliver world-class experience, uh, experiences and service to your clients. The majority of businesses have some element of service to them. Mm -hmm. If you follow those pillars that I've described, you will have 
world-class service experiences in your organization. Yeah, I, I think that that speaks to um, world-class culture. It speaks to human-centric human-centric approach, which focuses focuses on the people, right? Your people are the ones who deliver the service. They're not robots. They're not um, widgets. <laughs> you know, they're people. So yeah. uh, I I think you talked a lot about pride and these other pieces that factor into the human experience and are really important. Um, so back to, you know, the, the first time, you know, you all got uh, centered around a goal, right? And you didn't achieve that goal quite the first time, but you got aligned and then you worked harder and then you got it, uh, which is fantastic. And that's um, really speaks to, I think, the ability to rally and create that pride within the organization. But as we know, there are things that happen like here in 2020, you know, we've run into a pandemic, a crisis, something that has caused a break in that momentum, perhaps, right? Yep. Yep. Um, so many businesses are in a tough spot right now. They're recovering from COVID. They're just getting by. How do business owners and founders balance that reality and also resetting their business, but not taking their eye off of things like culture and brand and employee engagement? Mm. it's a really tough balance it's a tightrope walk um I, I think first off and if you think back to the early days of covid and you imagine this for for most businesses the number one priority had to be the survival of your business in many cases and you know you can imagine the whole scope of businesses from hotels to um manufacturing to whatever it might be but in many, many, many cases, the number one priority was the survival of the business. Uh, and that would inevitably at that early stage have sucked everyone's uh, attention. After the first phase, which required more creativity and innovation than anything I've ever known in my life, when we were told to shut down. Mm. And businesses had to rethink and reset how they were operating within 72 hours. And did it. And we started having Zoom calls within 72 hours or doing takeout mm. or whatever it was you did to ensure your business was still relevant. The second thing was, okay, now how do we maintain this and we're predicting the future. Um, but very quickly, uh, in short order, um, that balance needed to come back. Uh, and I go back to my hotel days. My title leading a hotel was general manager. I used to joke about it a lot. Uh, I had directors for everything, but I was just a general manager, um, particularly in Las Vegas, where there's all these lofty titles like yes. SVP and VP and, uh, and all of those. I was still just a general manager. Some people thought I ran, uh, I ran the PBX and the operators. Um, but in the hotel world, it's, it's a big deal. But I used to say, okay, that title actually serves as a reminder for me of what my job is. I can't be an expert in any one thing. I can't be the expert in saving our business financially right now. I have to be generally good at everything mm. to be successful in this role. And I think that lesson was just as relevant uh, today as businesses grapple with rethinking and resetting their businesses um, as it was just to me as a lowly general manager running a hotel. Um, because 
now you're, you're saying, well, I have to save the business. But you know what? I've also got to communicate with my team like 10 times a week. And I've still got to figure out how to uh, keep the supply chain going. And I've still got to figure out which bills to pay that are most important and balance all of these things. You can't just be good at one of them. Mm. Now, in normal times, whatever normal is, um, uh, you could sometimes be the guy that came with a strength in creativity or a strength in sales or a strength in HR. And that was really helpful for that business at that time. But right now, that's not the case. You still have, you have to be generally good at everything mm. and doing it all. And that's going to take more bandwidth, time, effort, and energy. It just does to be a, a strong leader, especially in these times. Um, and so um, more than ever now, you've got to be balancing everything. While at that first moment, you certainly did have a, a laser beam focus but very quickly i can imagine many leaders are saying shoot has anyone talked to our staff yet has anyone actually emailed our customers mm. has anyone told anyone in the outside world that we've changed our operating hours um, and that then takes us to the communication part which i could talk about for years the importance of regular clear current communication in a crisis and I mentioned I've been through every crisis you can imagine from hurricanes to windows falling out of buildings. Um, uh, but I've also, I, I think back to a couple of big things that I dealt with, um, one of which was uh, my hotel being sold and bought by a different hotel company. And it was going to be rebranded. And we had 60 days to do it. Uh, that was a time when I, I said, I need to communicate with everyone in this building every day. Because like you said earlier, Angela, rumors would have been rife. And you can't call whatever we had at the time, 180, 200 colleagues into a room every day when everyone's on shifts 24 hours a day. So there I resorted to an email on top of regular meetings with the management team and periodic meetings with as many staff as we could get into the ballroom as possible. Mm. But the email was entitled what I learned today. And I would say, I'm going to tell you everything I know as I come to know it. I don't want you to hear it in the news or on the street or third hand or from someone from the new company when they come and stay. I want you to hear it from me so that you can be confident that you'll be up to date. Hmm. And there were days when I said, I really don't have anything for you today. <laughs> no news is good news today. Uh, but every day, sometimes it could be two or three things or more. And we didn't have one rumor. There was no panic. There was a total sense of calm. People didn't quit left, right and center. We had a plan for everything and everyone knew what it was. Hmm. Uh, and so that became, uh, while generally being good at everything, uh, having to focus on communication. So I think the answer there is you need to be generally good at everything. Mm. There are going to be times, I picture it, if, you, if you're on a Mac and you're rolling your mouse along all the icons at the bottom and they get bigger as your mouse rolls over, mm. it's like, okay, right now communication's bigger or right now crisis is, or supply chain or HR or hiring. Um, and you just shift your focus slightly while maintaining everything at all times. I, I love that visual because it's it, it just it 
kind of puts in your head that the seasons of a leader, right? And the fact mm. and something I've been preaching that I have a true, strong, deep belief in is leaders have a, a portion of their job, which is tech, technical expertise, but a lot of their job is this general management piece and, and true leadership, right? It's, um, it's not about leaning on your HR team or your HR person. It's, it is a skill set that needs to be baked into the leadership role. And I think a lot of times we kind of, <laughs> we say, okay, HR, handle, handle that piece. I know for a fact, because this is my background, right? I, I work in HR, so I've been on a crusade, really, <laughs> to say, how do we make sure we're really, we're developing leaders into these, these people who are also people leaders, and they know what to do, and they know when to make that little icon larger around communication, or motivation, or inspiration, or empathy, or all the things that we know a leader needs to have characteristics around. So and that's where you, you and me, we're in partnership. Yes. Uh, it's exactly. not devolved to HR to handle. It can't be. And um, I, I always looked at my HR directors and their departments as, as key business partners. Yeah. And I, I will be honest, in many cases, that's, that's missed. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, it's finance or it's sales or... Uh, you know, whatever it might be that's more specific to that, that industry. Uh, but HR is at the heart of it all. Uh, but it's not, okay, now it's your problem. Right. They're there for expertise and, you know, kind of thinking three steps ahead. And, and facilitating and finding the knowledge and, and ways to, to share it with, the, with those that are learning. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I really love what you said about... Um, communication and I know that's been a theme I think in our conversation is it's key and uh, I, don't, I don't know which book it is but I remember reading somewhere I think it was the advantage by Patrick Lin, Lincioni um, you know your job as a leader is to be a chief reminding officer <laughs> you know all the time you're constantly you're, you're you're weaving together you're kind of this in this process of weaving together narratives and communications always and making sure they, they fit together too. It's a really right because uh, when you're in that role, you're you're you've got all these spokes coming out from you, and you you have those conversations, and your job is to find ways to make sure it gets pushed out, uh, and you know when to share something with the right person, and you're aware of that. Absolutely. Well, um, you have given us such fantastic perspective. I mean, we covered a lot today. We talked about, um, you know, first of all, this great innovation that you and, and Amy have created around Rethink and Reset program, which um, everybody needs a little bit of help with this, right? This is, everyone says this, unprecedented. <laughs> uh, this is unprecedented. These are unprecedented times. So the use of the word unprecedented is unprecedented. I know, I know. We keep saying it. I, I, I need to find another word for it. Truly, even some people in, in our field, right, where we, we consult on this and we do this with organizations, we're new to this. So the fact that you all got ahead of the curve and packaged some brilliance for people and some real practical tools, I think will serve a lot of leaders and a lot of business owners and a lot of founders to take the, um, the think work or the guesswork. It still takes a little bit of effort, right, and discretion, but 
60 minutes. If you open the box, you can be ready to deliver that session in 60 minutes. We make it as low effort as possible, uh, which is just the other piece of the puzzle when you're so busy being a general manager. Absolutely. It's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant idea. Is there Thank anything you. else that you want to share or wrap up or kind of tie the bow on um, before we leave each other? Oh my gosh. Um, well, uh, the leadership boxes, thank you for mentioning them again. I, we're really excited about this and there's been so much interest in it. Um, I really would encourage people to, to look into the box uh, or as we say, join us in thinking inside the box for a change. Um, uh, it's at a really reasonable price point right now. The box is 400 bucks. Mm. And if you think about it, there's 10 participant kits inside. That's 40 bucks per manager to give them a learning experience, but also a training experience where you bring them in, uh, in this virtual world. And keep thinking about all these tips for working in a virtual world. Um, we don't have those coffee machine chats, so reinvent them. Um, mm -hmm. Do your learning little and more often, like these 90-minute sessions, not a two-day seminar. How do you create engagement behind the screen? Mm -hmm. You've got a participant kit. What's your version of that in your world? Uh, and the biggest rule, I always say, is video on. Uh, having your video off is like telling people at work that you have a closed-door policy. Mm -hmm. I've never met a manager that says, oh, yes, I have a closed door policy. <laughs> no, you have an open door policy or you just don't talk about it. Mm. Um, if you don't turn your video on, uh, if you are working in a virtual environment, it's like closing your door or um, sitting, um, talking to your boss while reading the paper like this. <laughs> it's not a good look. No. Um, and... Uh, all those thoughts that have been wheeling through my head and Amy's head, I think led to the leadership box. Mm. Um, and so much of it ties back to the other work that I do, the service culture work. I, I help companies over the course of a year build a culture with the intent to improve service. Mm. But just building a culture period has a thousand different facets of benefit, uh, uh, facets and benefits, um, not just service, but I'm doing it with that end goal. Um, so these are times where it's been interesting, Angela, and I don't know if you've been experiencing this as well, how um, actually a surprising amount of companies have been approaching me to do this work because they see that this is the right time to do it. Yes. And double down on investing in your team, double down on investing in service, knowing that there's an ROI on it, uh, a very real and tangible one these days. Absolutely. And I think it's like you said in the beginning, I think this has always been a you know, for those of us who have been in this field for some time, we know the research, we know the bottom line um, impact, we know the impacts on revenue and sales and engagement and all the leading and lagging indicators. But um, I think it's really, there's an awakening because it's really coming to life now. The, uh, the detriment to not having an effective culture and the benefits or the competitive edge to having one, not just for your organization, and attracting good talent, but also the brand, your consumers, your customers, your suppliers, your partners, all of that is really important. So, um, my little COVID really hobby, 
<laughs> my little COVID hobby or a goal, I gave myself a beehive, to write the book that I always said I would write knowing I probably would never write it. And I'm 75% of the way through, but it will be called The Service Culture ROI. And it's to really underscore that uh, it's not just the HR fluffy stuff that a lot of people think it is. There's a really hardcore return on, on that sort of an investment. Well, once that book is done and it's published and you're selling millions of copies, I hope you will be back to tell us all about it. Uh, Donald, thank you so much for joining. Uh, thank you for all the work that you're doing in helping businesses at this time and the kind of taking the guesswork out of some of this stuff, but also challenging leaders to be leaders. So uh, thank you, Donald. It was great. You're welcome. Thanks so much for, for inviting me and, and taking time to chat. It's great to see you again. Great to see you. Great to, great to see you, Donald. Thank you.